Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. God is good and all the time. It's always, uh, it's always fun to hear just little bits and pieces of conversations that are happening there where uh, I hear people who haven't seen each other in a while and then I see people that I haven't seen in a while. So it's always good to be together and worship Jesus Today we're starting a new series called Message on the Move, Good News Meets Real People in the Book of Acts. And as we continue in our F260 Bible reading plan, we're going to be moving from the Gospels to the Book of Acts, which is about the early church. It's about the early church and the apostles after Jesus has died and rose again and ascended to heaven and sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to empower them. They go out. And the message of Jesus goes, it kind of goes viral. It goes on the move. In fact, in the book of Acts, one of the characters that's most prominent is the message itself. The message of Jesus goes out, and it goes out from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And and it encounters all different kinds of people. It encounters people who have such a sickness in their body that they can't walk. It encounters people who practice black magic. It encounters all different types of people from all different kinds of backgrounds. And we are going to be looking at that over the next four weeks, just as the message hits different people. But before we get into actually the book of Acts, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the message itself. Uh, We're going to be talking about the parable of the sower, which Jesus teaches on in three out of the four Gospels about the message. He teaches about the message and how it hits different hearts. So with that in mind, we're going to read this parable from Jesus in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. All right, let me read this, this for us. Again, Jesus began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down, and while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly. Since the soil wasn't deep, when the sun came up, it was scorched. And said it, since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce fruit. Still other seed fell on the good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then he said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, And he answered them, saying, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive, that they may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Then he said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? The word of God. 
Jesus, be with us. Help us to understand this parable. And we pray that you would change our lives and our hearts even now. Amen. When Virginia and I lived in St. Louis, we rented an apartment for about a year and a half, and then we bought a home. And we happened to buy a house just one block down from a high school. And it was one of the most challenged high schools in the neighborhood. And the day after we bought the home, I went to, from our apartment to our new home that was empty, there was nothing in it, and I just went to go check on it. And I walked into our living room, and I heard these loud voices talking, like almost as if they were inside the house. And it frightened me because I was like, what's going on here? It's 7 a.m. in the morning, and it sounds like someone's in this new house that we bought. Well, I opened the back door, and there was a crowd of students from the high school on the stoop in my backyard, just talking and acting like they own the place. And I was like, excuse me, what's going on here? Well, my neighbor Eddie came out, and I had not met him yet. He goes, oh yeah, those kids are in your backyard all the time. And I was like, guys, look, we just bought the house. We, we, we want to get to know you, but you can't come back here and do various things, if you know what I mean. You, you, you kind of have to do that somewhere else. I've got a family. And that began a little bit of a dance that my wife and I had to do over the next year where we wanted to invite students to like be around our house and be like in our front yard, but not bring some certain elements with them when they did. And so I would go out and talk to some of the students and I'd be like, hey, you're fine to sit here, but you, you kind of got to put that funny little cigarette away if you're going to sit here on the, on the stairs. You're welcome here, but you got to put that thing away. And it was funny because um, my neighbors, Eddie, and the rest of his family, they had dealt with the same thing for years. They had tried to, you know, be nice to these students, uh, but it had been challenging because some of the students would come by and kick over the flowers of Eddie's sister, Maria. And Maria was not happy about it. Like, Maria would chase the kids down the street and be like, get out of here. And I was like, Maria, let's calm down a little bit. Like, let's not be that aggressive. Well, well, one morning, she was waiting for these kids. And she said something that was so funny. I wrote it down immediately, and I've been holding on to it for almost like 12 years. But they had kicked over uh, her flowers in the front yard on their way to school. And Maria was going through rehab at the time for alcohol treatment. And she would say, because of that, she was just angry anyways. Well, these kids go by, and she sees that they have kicked her flower, and she yells out to them, and, she, and they just flee. And I was like, Maria, you got to calm down a bit. And she turns around, and she's fuming mad, and she says, John, I tell them that I went to rehab to quit drinking, not to quit kicking blank. Those kids will be crying for the police when I'm done with them. I'm going to sit out here with a BB gun and shoot them in the forehead. They should go to their grandmother's house and pull out her ugly flowers. Y'all don't know me. I'm an ornery, evil woman. Then she calmed down a little bit. And Maria did get sober, which was amazing. She did a great job. But we love Maria and Eddie. And that's just such a fun story to think back on. But it's interesting to think, you know, we have kids that go by our building here. There's a school, the international school just down there. And sometimes they come and sit on the front steps. And Amanda, our church administrator, even asked me last week, how can we 
welcome those students? Like, is there anything that we can do to go and reach out to them? Is there a way that we could go and just bring water out to them because it's a hot day? And I said, go for it. You know, we want them to know that Jesus loves them. We want them to know that the church welcomes them. So let's give them some water. But it is interesting. I mean, that's a whole dynamic in society, right? Like teenagers be in places where the people who live there or own the business don't want them. In fact, there was something that was invented to drive teenagers off property, and it's called the mosquito tone. Has anybody heard of this, the mosquito tone? No one, okay. The mosquito tone was invented by some people in Britain because high school-age students were loitering around a a convenience store, and they would kind of like make a ruckus or get in the way of actual customers And so the guy began thinking, how do I drive these teenagers away off my property without driving everybody away? And he invented the mosquito tone. Now, the mosquito tone is just a sound that sounds like a mosquito. But the interesting thing is you can't hear it if you're like 30 or above. So if you go on YouTube and you look up the mosquito tone, you'll actually... Get to a, it'll, it'll take you through the, the various tones, and you can tell how old you are by what you can hear and not hear. And so if you listen to the mosquito tone, there's a point where me, I, I can't hear it anymore because it's too high pitch. And the reason that it works that way is because over time, our ears get damaged slightly. And so a, a teenager's ear is more sensitive, and they're able to pick up sounds that I might not be able to hear. And so what the convenience store owners did in Britain is they would put this machine that would put out the mosquito tone, and the teenagers would hear it, and it would bother them, and so they would move somewhere else. But people who were older wouldn't hear it at all, and they could come into the store. See, the mosquito tone hits different ears differently. And the message of Jesus does as well. The message of Jesus hits the ears of our heart differently. And Jesus tells a parable to help us understand how his message hits our hearts differently. Everybody's heart hears the message of Jesus differently. And the question for you today is, do you hear the message of Jesus? And then how is the message of Jesus hitting your heart? And then why does your heart hear it the way it does? Today's going to call you to reflect a little bit on how you hear the message of Jesus. Mark tells us in verse 14 that Jesus is telling a parable. And a parable is just an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. He tells a story in order for us to understand more about his message and his kingdom. And in this story, there's really three different things. There's the seed, and the seed represents the message, the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and King, and he came from heaven to earth to die on the cross for our sins. And on the third day, he was was risen from the dead, and he has ascended into heaven, where he rules and reigns, and one day he will return. And those who repent of their sins and trust in him receive the assurance of salvation. They are the the fullness of the Holy Spirit and knowing that they will be with God for eternity. The, The seed represents that good news. 
But there's also a sower or a farmer. I don't know if you all know this, but my dad's side of the family are farm people from about an hour south of Chicago in Illinois. And in another life, I might have been a farmer myself, but my dad determined by age five that he did not like farming at all. In fact, at age five, he worked harder to get out of the farm work than it did than he did to actually do the farm work. And so he would have been an awful farmer, that's what he says, and I would have probably been even a worse farmer. So we're not farmers, but we come from farmers. And the second character in this story is a farmer who scatters the seed. It's someone who, the, the, the image is of someone sharing the gospel message, the good news about Jesus. And then the third character in this story, besides the seed and the sower or the farmer, is the soil. It's the dirt. And that dirt is you. <laughs> I guess I could say y'all are dirt, but then you would get offended by that. But, but really, the soil is meant to represent the state of your heart and how it receives the message of Jesus. The seed, the sower, and the soil. Jesus says in verse 14, the sower sows the word. But then in verse 15, he tells us how the first heart hears the message of Jesus. Some seeds are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. This first soil is packed down because it's on a path. People are constantly walking on it. And so when the, the message is thrown to their hearts, it, it, it's like they can't receive it. Just like the path can't receive any seed. It's, it's a representation of an impenetrable heart. Of a heart that the message of Jesus does not break through because the soil is so hard. This would be a representation of someone who hears the message of Jesus but gives it absolutely no consideration. They're completely indifferent to who Jesus is and what he claims to have done. Now, I find just a lot of people are there, right? A lot of people are indifferent to the message of Jesus. And I find two particular reasons why people's hearts are impenetrable. The two reasons I see are Christians and questions. In other words, I find that people don't find the Christian message believable because of the hypocrisy of Christians. In other words, if that's what Christians look like, if they're the people who follow this message of Jesus, then I don't want to be any part of it. That's a good reason in a sense, but let me challenge that thought. The message of Jesus Christ is one of sacrificial love. And if you see the hypocrisy of a Christian and then don't embrace the message because of that, you're actually being turned off by the very thing that Jesus is calling them to. You've heard the illustration of someone say, like, you can't blame someone who goes to the gym for the first time for being out of shape. So many times as Christians, we don't follow the message of Jesus, which is a message of grace and love and sacrifice. But Jesus is calling us to do that. And so if you're turned off by the hypocrisy of Christians, don't be turned off by the worst followers of the message. Look to the message itself. Because the message is a message of God giving his son for your sake, that you might know him. But then secondly, people are turned off because they have a lot of questions. And a lot of times Christians don't know the answers to people's questions. And that's very real. I, th I think 
Paul calls us to be ready to answer people's questions, be ready to give a defense for the questions that come up in our society. But, but here's something that you have to rest with, wrestle with. Um, if all your questions were answered, would you believe? Like if you're here today and you say, you know what, I don't think this message is true. I have too many questions. Let's just say all your questions were answered. All your intellectual conundrums were answered and, and tightened with a nice bow. Would you believe? Because if your answer's no, then it's not a head thing. It's a heart thing. You've already made a decision that your heart is impenetrable before you even wrestled with whether Christianity is true. Thomas Nigel was a philosophy professor at NYU, and he's still there, but he said something very interesting. He said, I want atheism to be true, and I'm made made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Now, I love this atheist honesty because he's saying it's not just that I don't think it's true. It's that I don't want it to be true. My heart is impenetrable to Christianity. And I respect his honesty and authenticity because so often I think that we have heart issues that we pass off as head issues. Now, there really are questions. There really are things that we need to work through. But you have to ask yourself the question, why is my heart impenetrable? I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, um, you know, I didn't believe at God. But then I had to ask myself the question why I was mad at him all the time. If God doesn't exist, why are you so angry with him? One of my friends would have said, I fit in this category of an impenetrable heart. And to him, Christianity didn't didn't make sense. But through his life experiences, he really came to the end of himself. And he said, the only thing I know to pray is, God, if you're real, You'll just have to show me. And God did. And that man came to Christ. So my, my question for you here today is if that's you, if your heart is like the rock, like the hardened path, if your heart's impenetrable to the method, message of Jesus, would you take a risk today and even pray, God, if you're real, you'll just have to show me? Would you open yourself even up a little bit? from having an impenetrable heart. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. Jesus goes on in verse 16 and verse 17 and says, and others, other seed are like seed sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy but they have no root. They are short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, because of the message, they immediately fall away. So this is a seed that gets thrown into rocky soil. It sprouts up, but it's not deep enough with its roots. 
And so when the sun comes out or when the weather gets harsh, it has nothing to hold on to, and so it dies. And what this represents is a heart that's shallow with the message of Jesus. It's the message gets in there, but it doesn't really take root in someone's heart. This would be someone who gets joyful and excited about the message of Jesus, but their understanding of Jesus is quite superficial. They're excited at first, but when their Christian walk gets hard, they walk away. I think of a mother I met once, and she said, you know, my son is part of a Christian movement here in South Florida, and it's super exciting. Like, there's a ton of energy whenever he shows up at this place, and everyone's excited. But she said, I watch him, and my concern for him is, when it gets hard to walk with Jesus, will he continue to? When it's not exciting, when there's not a lot of people around, when he gets persecuted, or he has to persevere through hardships, or questions come up in his mind about his faith, will he persevere? So you think a lot of times people come to Jesus because we get to a place where our life is a mess, right? And Jesus loves us in the mess. But one of the wrong assumptions that we can have is that Jesus will fix everything in our lives, right? And then when Jesus doesn't do that, when we still have hardships and trials, we go, well, this must not be true. This doesn't work for me. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus' sole purpose isn't to make our lives better. It's to reconcile us with God so that we can be part of his kingdom here on earth. I saw a statistic that 80% of young Christians are biblically illiterate. And what that means is they're a Christian without knowing what Christianity is really about. That's shallow soil. And so if that's you, if you're in this but you don't really know why, if you're struggling with your faith and you feel like one time I was excited and now I'm not and I don't know what to do, let me encourage you to root down in God's word. To root down in God's word because that's actually how you grow in your faith. That's how you persevere. That's how you stand through persecution is by standing on the truth of Jesus' word. So we have an impenetrable heart and a shallow heart, but in the next verses, Jesus talks about a divided heart. Verse 18 and 19, Jesus says, Others are like seeds sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. These are people who would hear the message of Jesus and might even accept the message of Jesus, but then as life just happens, life chokes out the message in their hearts. The worries of this age, the desire for other things, just produce a choking hazard. It's like just normal stuff in life chokes out the message of Jesus. Maybe it's other messages. Maybe it's the message of the American dream. I'm here to get wealthy. I'm here to make my life the best it can be. Eventually, if you believe that, that will choke out the good news in your heart. I love that Jesus just says the things of life, like it's normal things. Anything that makes you pressed 
or stressed or obsessed can choke out the message of Jesus. You know, like with a child, anything that's normal can be a choking hazard, right? If I leave this with a baby, it could be deadly. Now, this isn't bad. This is just a bottle cap. Yet, given to someone who thinks it's food, it is incredibly dangerous, And what Jesus is getting at here with the divided heart is that our hearts often want to hold on to the good news of Jesus and hold on to other things. And eventually, you have to choose. It's not that you can't have wealth, but you have to choose Jesus in the midst of your wealth. It's not that you can't have cares or anxieties about this life or want to progress your career or grow your influence or something like that, but you have to have a solidarity in your heart for Jesus Christ as those things happen. Otherwise, those things will choke out the message of Jesus and you will not grow to maturity. I think it's not just the cares of life, but also the culture and the cultural moment that we're in that can choke out the message of Jesus in it. The good news is always in a prophetic dialogue with the culture, always challenging things that, the culture considers to be normal. And what's happening right now is a lot of people are being uh, led to deconstruct the message of Jesus. That is to, to see what's below the message of Jesus. And what's happening a lot right now, particularly among young people, is they are deconstructing Christianity and coming to a place where they either find Jesus on a new level or they walk away from faith because they don't think the message of Jesus is true. And one of, the, one of the accusations they have against Christianity is that Christianity as we see it in the West is captive to a culture. In other words, you might say evangelicalism is white middle class culture excluding true Christianity. And some of that's actually true. I mean, the reality is every culture gets captive to its culture and has to wrestle through what that means. When I lived in London and worked among South Asians who were Christians, they had a really hard time letting go of the caste system. Like for them, being in the Brahmin caste, being an elite, it was really hard for them to fellowship with a Christian who was in a low caste. And so every culture has to wrestle with, is my faith culturally captive or is it actually biblical? Is this the true message of Jesus? And I think a lot of people right now are deconstructing their faith and looking at it and going, what is real and what's not? What's truly in the Bible and what's just my culture or someone else's culture? But but as you go through that process, have an honest heart before God. I don't think going through that process is a bad thing. But one of the things that's weak about it is even those who are going through the process of deconstructing their faith can't get away from their own cultural lens. In other words, there's not some place that you can get to in life where you no longer have a cultural lens on. I find it interesting that a lot of people who are deconstructing make the faith look exactly like the culture. So when they go through this whole process of unpacking what's true and what the Bible says, it has morphed so much that it's not anything radical. It's no longer a radical message. It looks exactly like the culture. That's not correct. Because Jesus came to upheave this world. And he, he, was, he said his message would be offensive and that many would walk away. And so if you're going through that process, let me just encourage you to go through it with an honest look at your heart. 
Because I've been through something like that. My wife has been through something like that. And one of the things that I found was a trap in my own heart was the emotional pain I experienced as I really asked questions about my faith. Because if you're hurt by the church and no one answers your questions, what can tend to grow in your heart is bitterness. And then you get around other people who are also bitter and hurt by the church, and their pain resonates with your pain. And all of a sudden, you find that what's growing in your heart is not health, but bitterness. And I think it's interesting that a lot of people on podcasts or whatever are so committed to a certain message about deconstructing the faith that they only talk about things where people walk away from the faith. In other words, they've already chosen an alternate message. They've already said, listen, we're only going to engage this if we make Christianity look bad. They're already committed to another message. And while that can be emotionally cathartic if you're going through that process, it's not intellectually authentic. It can feel good to have people rail against the church and rail against the message of Christianity but it's not intellectually authentic. And here's why. Those people have not deconstructed their own divided hearts. They don't realize that their own heart is committed to something and they're not actually looking at the issues authentically. It's a painful process to go through. But in my own life, I remember in college when I really came to just have a distaste in my mouth for the way I was living my life. And I repented, and I began to follow Jesus. And at that point in my life, the message of Christianity was about a path. Like, it was a path of discipleship that I was on, and I was going to try my hardest to follow Jesus and love him and love everybody else. And after trying hard for a couple years, I got exhausted, and I ran out of energy. During that time, I went through some church hurt where the two Christians I was closest with, one was domineering and one was incredibly manipulative. And trying to sort through that in my own heart was really challenging. But I found my way into a really good church that was honest about all the questions I had and had sympathy for the pain that I was going through. And what I found beneath all that failing, beneath all that trying hard that was exhausting, what I found was the message wasn't just about discipleship. It was about grace. It was about forgiveness. It was about a God who met me in my true brokenness and helped me along. It was about a Jesus who understood what it was like to be a sinner, though he had no sin. He had sympathy for me as a weak, sinful person. That's the whole reason he came to die. And I found that this message wasn't just about a path. It was about a person. It was about Jesus himself. And underneath my questions and underneath my hard heart and underneath my pain, I found Jesus. But there was more. I went through another season after that where I began to understand that Jesus was writing a story for the whole world. And he was calling me to be part of it. That, that there was this king named Jesus Christ. And he had a plan to redeem and restore everything in the world. And that this message was for every heart. 
And as I went through that process, it, each of those times, each of those layers where I had to explore the faith, each of the times I was tempted to turn away, but I found something deeper and more meaty underneath the questions, underneath the pain, and I think you will too. That, that's where Jesus is leading us. Ultimately, in verse 20, he says, and those like seeds sown on the good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. Um, Jesus ends by talking about a receptive heart, an open heart, uh, a heart that receives the message of Jesus Christ. Not a heart that has all its questions answered. Not a heart that doesn't have pain, but just an open heart, a receptive heart. And Jesus says, the, the one who receives the word of God, who receives the gospel message, what happens is that it produces fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. You know, the amazing thing about God is when you lean into him with faith, he's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubt. If you read the Psalms, David is always struggling with life, but yet in that, he leans into God. That is what it means to have a receptive heart. Not that you figured everything out, but that you're willing to lean into God with your questions. And God can take a heart like that and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. That is to say, he will change you. He will transform you. And he may do it so much that you actually become one who sows the seed yourself. That you become someone who loves the good news message so much that you share it with others. And so I want to end by asking you today, how is the message of Jesus hitting your heart? And why does your heart hear it that way? Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.